Good morning. Father, we thank you again for a beautiful day, for an opportunity to gather again at the beginning of the week to worship with this family, to delight in your presence and to delight in the presence of one another. We come here to know that we have been called to commune with you and with one another, and that means that we grow together. We learn from your word, we sit at your feet. And we go home and make application of these things that we might grow together in our walking together in our faith and growth and maturity in Christ. And so we pray your blessings this morning as we consider the subject of family worship. That you will help us to examine ourselves and our practice and to make, make adjustments where they're needed and to be pleasing in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our twelfth lesson on the fruitful vineyard, filling the earth with godly children. I wasn't quite sure where in the series to place this topic of family worship, but here's where it's landed. Um, I want to address both worship at your house, at your home, as well as your children's worship when we gather together for corporate worship. And so this will be a two-part lesson. Uh, Today we'll be focused upon your family. I want to add that worship in your home is not simply the formal times that you assemble for formal worship at your house, what we often think of when we speak about family worship, but of course it should be the aroma of your house. Uh, Worship is not just about uh, some special time or piece of what we do, but the idea of worship is that it's to spill over and to permeate every aspect of our culture. Every uh, part of family life should be uh, a demonstration of our worship of the true and living God. And so in the last couple of lessons, we have talked about establishing and cultivating a particular and distinctively Christian Culture. Remember, culture embraces everything. The famous quote from Henry Van Til is that culture is religion externalized. Another way we might say that is what the things you believe will, uh, we, we can find out what you believe by looking at what you do. We can see what you talk about, what you The practices of your home would tell us, without a word, uh, directly about what you believe, would tell us what you believe and what's important. And so, we can look at your marriage, we can look at your house, we can look at your church involvement, your hospitality, your giving, your children, and so forth, and we will know something, in fact, we'll know quite a bit about who you worship or what you worship. Seeing is believing. Part of the family culture is worship, is formal worship. Your family culture is teaching your children about worship all the time. Who or what to worship, how to worship, when to worship. Your worship decisions on Sunday, and for that matter, every other day of the week, tell them, tell your children what you think about worship. Now most of you 
as is obvious here this morning, go to church. But my question for you is, have you taught your children uh, to love the church and to love worship? Love always means sacrifice, to sacrifice for something, to give yourself to it. We devote ourselves to the things we love. And so, your job is to teach them to love what you love. And that's why in Deuteronomy 6, uh, it begins with, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, you shall diligently teach your children to do the same thing. So you have to love it first. And then if you love it, your job is to teach them to love it. And if they don't love the church and they don't love worship, that means either you don't love these things or... Or else you're not teaching them to love these things, or both. Your sacrifice for the things you love, you sacrifice for the things you love for this simple reason. They are a priority. They're important. And so, remember, there are always things in life that we don't want to do, uh, but that we do, that we do because we should do them, because God said to do them. Or some legitimate authority tells us that we should do them. So when parents tell their children they should do something, it's because their parents love them and they know that the thing they're telling them to do is good for them. If your elders tell you, uh, this is something we're going to do as a church because we think this is good for you and good for your spiritual health and growth, you do it. Even though sometimes it's not something you particularly like or want to do, you do it anyway. I hope, uh, I do hope that you make yourself... And that you make your children do many things that you and they don't want to do in the moment. When I do those things that I don't want to do, but that are good for me, I grow. It's like, eat your broccoli. I don't like broccoli. I don't want to eat broccoli. Eat your broccoli anyway. It's good for you. And so, there are many things we do, and that's just a metaphor for all those other things, uh, I never regret having done the things I ought to do. For some reason, I resist prayer and reading my Bible. been doing it for a long time, but I still find certain parts of me resisting that. I don't know. I'm not sure why, except that I'm a sinner. Because I have never, ever read my Bible or prayed or worshipped or a host of other things and then said, Boy, I wish I hadn't done that. I never regret it, so why do I find myself resisting it? But I will resist it next time. No matter how many times I do it and don't regret it, I still find myself resisting doing doing my duty. This is mainly because I am self-centered and lazy. Parents... These are some of the main things that you're training your children not to be. Self-centered and lazy. Uh, Parents, uh, so, so fully participating in the community, that is the communion of the family or the church, spills over into the rest of life. It spills over into the world, in fact. We begin to live lives of self-sacrifice and service, which is another word for love. So remember, your children must see you regularly do the things that God has called you to do. That's going to be your your chief uh, means of teaching your children, that they see what you do. They hear what you say, but they see what you do. 
duty and responsibility. Dad does things that I know he doesn't really want to do, but he does them anyway. And he does them cheerfully. In addition to times of gathering for family worship, I would ask you, do your children see you read the Bible? Do they see you pray other than at mealtime or at bedtime? Have they ever just accidentally taught you praying? Came into the room, dad didn't know you were there, or you didn't know he was there, or mom, and they had their head bowed and they were praying. What a powerful, powerful thing to stumble on. What a powerful lesson. Have they ever heard you confess sin? Or to ask forgiveness, or to give thanks, or to sing, or to talk of the things of God. All of those things are the elements of worship. In fact, that's, those are the things that are being talked about in Deuteronomy 6 when it says we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to teach children diligently when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise up. In other words, it permeates everything we're doing. Walking with God is a 24-7 uh, situation. We don't just take an occasional stroll with God. It is your job to inculcate this into your children. It is to be their environment. So when you're dealing with a problem, do you bring God into it? Or is God an afterthought? Or you just, as mom or dad, going to solve the problem? Do you ever pray with your children? Say, what's, you know, I know that's a tough thing you're going through, or We've got this issue or this problem. Let's, let's pray about it first. Let's ask God to help us solve this problem. Teach them to bring God into, the, into his, to bring him uh, into the presence of your children and into the conversation of your household. And so uh, when you do this, you will establish a family culture that is God glorifying. But habits are hard to form. And uh, they just take a commitment on the front end to do this over and over and over until they feel normal, a new normal. Now, children need worship. Children are called by God to worship. They're created in His image. And in fact, they are going to worship something just like you do. But th- so that means they need to learn who to worship. They need to learn how to worship, which means they have to be taught. Children learn only... When mom and dad model what proper worship looks like. And so I want to talk to you a bit about the role of liturgy. And I'm using the word liturgy rather broadly. We we could just think of that as a habit or as the form, the routine, the thing we do regularly. And so what we do at church on Sunday morning in worship is not to be isolated from what we're doing at home and vice versa. These things are going to feed each other. So if you're doing what you should be doing at home in regard to worship, it's going to impact the church in a good way. And if you're not doing what you should be doing at home, it's going to impact the church in a bad way. Likewise, when the church does what it's supposed to do in worship, in training you, in establishing the way you think about worship and life, and you take that home, that should impact your family. And so these things are reciprocal and go back and forth. Uh, and so if, that's, if you are establishing these things, or um, uh, if, excuse me, if you're not isolating these, or excuse me, start over, if you are isolating these things, church and family, 
then you're completely missing the point. What we're doing here, or what we're about to do in worship, has everything to do, or should have everything to do, with what's happening in your house Monday through Saturday. And if you haven't self-consciously drawn the connection between the Lord's table and your table, and the prayers we say here, and the prayers you say at home, and the confession we have here, and the confessions you make at home, and the singing we have here, and the singing you have at home, and so forth, and ultimately, the communion we have here, and the communion you have at home, if you haven't made those connections, then again, you're missing the point. I want you to pay attention and start connecting the dots. The private family liturgy is practiced for the public formal liturgy. The public formal liturgy is practiced for life in the family. The two feed each other. And that's why it's so important. When you think about it in athletics, uh, everyone understands the need for a team mentality and practice. Unfortunately, many Christians fail to see this when it comes to the church. We gather for public, when we gather for public worship, we're all sitting together before the Lord. We're all here as His children. The communion is with every other person in the room. We're not isolated. We're not just individuals sitting there, for that matter, not just families sitting there. But we are a family. We're the big family, and we're here before God. And for a few minutes each Sunday, we're all God's children. Uh, that is, gathered together as members of his household, gathered at one table, worshiping and communing with him and with one another. And just as the Lord's table prepares us and teaches us what we're supposed to be doing at our individual family tables, so too the other things we do in worship are to be put in practice at our homes in a variety of ways. And so formal public worship on the first day of the week does what? It refocuses us. We've been busy, we forget, we're so forgetful, and we come back here and we remember, oh yeah, this is the most important thing. We walk with God, we're children of God, we live for Him, we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We repent of our sins, we follow Jesus, there's, there's on and on and on. We, we talk with God, He talks with us, we hear His word, we, we praise Him, He blesses us, we bless Him. Uh, we commune with Him. We commune with one another. All those are the lessons we're supposed to learn on Sunday morning and take them out the door and then implement them at our little outpost that we call our family. We're still the church there. The church just disperses and spreads out into the community. Why? So that we can be salt and light wherever we are, in our neighborhoods and with our extended families and with the other people God puts in our lives. And so... Um, we uh, formal public worship on the first day of the week, as you hear me say frequently, reminds us of who we are and why we're here. And just as the Lord's table prepares and teaches us what we're supposed to be doing uh, at our family table, uh, so too do these other aspects of worship. When your family gathers each day for its own time of formal worship, you're being reminded and refocused daily in the family as to why you're here and what you're supposed to be doing. You're part of a commu community, a part of a communion. And you're there to love one another. And when you skip church because you're busy or tired or whatever, you send a powerful message to your children about how unimportant it really is 
And likewise, when you make it a priority to the point that you do it, especially when it's not easy or convenient, you also send a powerful message as to how important it really is. Moreover, you do these same things and send those same messages with regard to your family worship. Now, I know that establishing the habit of family worship is difficult for most people, but I want to suggest something and just cut to the chase here. It's really not that hard. Over and over, I hear, well, I'm struggling with that. There's really not a lot of struggle here except for our laziness and selfishness. It's not hard to do family worship. You don't have to be great at it. You just have to do it. You can do it if you want to and if you think it's important. The real problem is, to be honest, we don't think it's that important. There are a million excuses for not doing it, but frankly, there are none that really work on a sustained basis. You might be too sick or have an emergency come up. I acknowledge that. But apart from that, the real reason you don't do it is because you don't think it's that important. Now, let me ask you this rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand. Do you brush your teeth every day? I hope so, at least once. Why? It's important for a number of reasons. And we're thankful you do. And not only does it benefit you, it benefits the rest of us. And you do it every day. Are you too busy? You just forget to brush your teeth? Now, little kids might, but hopefully you don't if you're grown up. Because you think brushing your teeth and taking a shower or getting dressed or any number of things you do every single day because you think they're important. And they are. They're important to you and they're important to your family and they're important to everybody else. So why wouldn't you put worship in this category? So fathers, if you're not doing this with your family, stop making excuses. Repent, confess, and get after it. Lead your family in the paths of righteousness. I'm going to say more about this toward the end of this lesson this morning. And so, liturgy is just your habit or your culture. It's what you do. And remember Peter Drucker's statement I gave a couple of weeks ago, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So what you do has a lot more to do than what you talk about or plan or plan to do Just doing it is the most powerful thing. Your family habits do more to inculcate ideas than anything else. In fact, uh, whatever ideas you have, if your family practice doesn't match that, your family practice will undermine your plans and your ideas and your ideals. We all have ways of ordering our lives so that we might present ourselves acceptable to the one we worship. In the Old Covenant... There were psalms to be sung before entering into into sacrifice. There were washings and trumpets and knives and blood and hyssop and sprinklings and burnings, uh, incense, body, uh, food, eating and drinking. All of these were done before Yahweh that their lives might be acceptable to God. And we all have family liturgies as well. And and while we might not... Yes, sir? Are we allowed this question? Sure. 
Right. Well, I don't think it's technically hard. You know what to do. You know that they're three, and you do all kinds of other things with three-year-olds that involve the same kinds of issues. And so the sitting, to do it in worship is not any harder than doing it at the dinner table or at bedtime or all the other things that you do every single day. So I, I'm not, I understand that it's challenging and there are difficulties associated with worship, but there, I'm suggesting that that's not any more difficult than all the other areas, getting them ready for school or doing homework or telling them to clean their room or every other aspect of child rearing that involves all those same things. And you do those things, hopefully. And so I'm just saying this thing is not in a separate category. So though I can do all those other things with my three-year-olds or my eight kids or whatever, but when it comes to worship, that one's too hard. That one's extra difficult. Here's the deal. If you do it, and they learn to do it, yes, there's a learning curve, but it's amazing how in a few weeks, all of a sudden they know how to do that too, just like they know how to get dressed and how they know how to act at the table, how they know to carry their dishes to the kitchen when dinner's over, how to say thank you to mom for cooking dinner, all the other things you teach them, you teach them to worship. And suddenly it becomes less and less difficult. Now, again, I, I'm, not, so I'm not suggesting there aren't difficulties. I'm just suggesting that we tend to come to family worship and, and somehow put it in a separate category from all these other things that God has called us to do. And that we usually do, because if we don't do them, there's often immediate results that are painful to us and so they, these these other things are priorities worship gets dropped off because frankly again it's not as big a priority as dinner and I'm challenging everyone to begin to think about that and say maybe maybe family worship is more important than dinner if you had to pick one I don't think you do I think you can pick both and figure that out I suspect we could pick family worship over a little less TV or playtime and spend that 10 minutes or 30 minutes if it turns into that. Um, here's what I suggest, and I'm going to talk about keeping it simple, and maybe that I have some practical suggestions in that area as well. Um, so, uh, we have family liturgies, and while we may not, again, consciously think about this, we actually do it. So let's think about the dinner table as an example um, there are rituals to be observed and roles to be filled. There are cooks and servers and eaters and, you know, maybe someone who gets things started, let's, let's pray, uh, kind of a master of ceremonies, if you will. Um, rules to be observed, you know, depending on how formal the dinner is, where the plates go and the knives and the forks and the napkins. Um, uh, there are, you know, who's going to clean up. Uh, drink spilled, um, you know, all kinds of rules that you have at your house about what we do and don't do at the dinner table. Don't kick your sister, take your hat off, sit up straight. Um, lots of rules there that govern why. Is that just because we like rules or because those rules are geared to help us love one another? 
and, and to commune with one another and have a happy experience here around the table, a fellowship. Um, prayers are offered, thanks are rendered, those kinds of things. So that's an example of what I'm talking about. We have liturgies inevitably. What if, what if you don't have hardly any rules, every man for himself? Well, that becomes your liturgy. That becomes the message that you send in that context. And you might eat all your meals before the television, but if you took the time to break it down, something or someone is being honored even in that situation. Liturgies are inescapable. Worship is inescapable. And so if we could observe the liturgy or culture of your family, what or who would we conclude is being worshipped? So a few things happen in these small liturgies. You teach your children what's important through through them, and they grow up into these things that are dominant in their lives, these habits. Think about school, family, church, playtime, and so forth. They are worshipers, and their worship is being directed and pointed in a certain direction. I said to talk about those. All those other things have liturgies and habits too, expectations. We know what to do. You know, if you, if you say, who wants to go swimming? And they all start jumping up and down, and they immediately run to get their swimsuits and their towels. You know, they've done that a few times, so they know what needs to be done in order to go do that. So that's just a, an informal kind of thing that... And we can multiply these examples over and over. I just want worship to be one of those things that when you say, hey, it's time to worship, they know they need to go get their Bibles, they, need, they, they know where they need to, what room they need to go to, and they also need to know how they're supposed to act while we do this. They should have some idea about how long it lasts and what the order is uh, so that they can you know, become part of that, just like we do here. Uh, so as you do that, if you don't do that, if you do it periodically, uh, you do it for a week and then you quit, and then you, six months later you try it again, then I would expect a fair amount of chaos. But if it becomes a habit and a routine that's it's normalized, then a lot of that chaos goes away. Um, that, you know, what's the problem with parents who are not consistent with any kind of discipline? You know? Johnny does something eight times and nothing happens, but the ninth time, Dad loses his temper. And, uh, and so Johnny does the math uh, and figures the odds are pretty good that he can now do it again and Dad won't lose his temper. But it, it happens randomly, and so there's not a, a consistency there that enables that kind of normal and regular operation. We want to establish things in our families that are not legalistic, but are routine and provide stability and a pattern. So that when your children are grown, they say something like, yeah, you know what, we're like every family, we had our issues and problems, but I'll tell you what, uh, my dad prayed with us every day. My mom and dad, uh, we, we gathered for worship every day. It wasn't always perfect, it wasn't always smooth. Um, but it always happened. Those are the kinds of things we want our children to leave so that when they have families, and they'll do it better than we did because they'll start better than we did, and that'll be the habit of their life. And so uh, when we instruct our children, uh, when we approach God through the family table, the Lord's table is our model, 
And when we instruct our children in righteousness through things like the chore chart, discipline, hugs, bedtime prayers, organizing, tithes, communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the giving of ourselves in sacrifice, um, those things become embedded in them and become not just what they do, but more importantly, who they are. They're Christians. And so all of our liturgies rest upon this one great work of the people of God, and if we neglect that one liturgy, that is church, and forsake the assembly of the saints on the Lord's Day, then all of our liturgies will suffer. Now, as far as what we call family worship, that is a certain time set apart for more or less formal worship of God, that should be the habit of the liturgy of your house. And so I'm going to suggest we keep it simple. Here's my, some of my practical things, and uh, we'll expand on this a little bit as we go. So I'm going to give you five things to keep it simple. Number one, a little every day is better than a lot occasionally. Learning to do little things is very important. Just do a little every day. What's a reasonable amount? Five minutes? Ten minutes? I don't care if you do more, but oftentimes we fail because we think, oh, I've got to sit down and have a lesson plan, and, and I've got to have an outline, and I've got to do, you know, we've got to have all of this. It's going to take 30 minutes, and then pretty soon, oh, I didn't have time to prepare today, so we'll, we'll wait and do it next week, or we were busy. You know what, if you, if you have something really basic that we're going to talk about uh, I think if you, I want you to start, if you're not doing this, I want you to start with something like 10 minutes. A little every day is better than a lot occasionally. So I, I tell people individually, you know, if you will pray, uh, I'm, when I'm working with couples who are in the, you know, say, premarital uh, situation where they're headed toward getting married, I, I had a meeting with someone yesterday talking about this. Okay. I want you to read at least one verse of the Bible together every day. And I want you to pray for each other every day. I don't care if that prayer is 30 seconds. And you literally read, uh, I call an apostle. Uh, greet you. Okay. Now, I'd rather, if you want to go ahead and read three more verses to get that in context, that's a good idea too. So I'm not limiting you to do more. But even if you just did that and your prayer was... Uh, uh, Lord, uh, thank you for Marinelle and bless her day. Amen. And then she prays for me, and now we pray for each other and we read the Bible. Doing that every day, I suspect you'd soon be reading a little more and praying a little longer. So what I'm getting at here is doing it is the important thing. Doing how long you do it and how well you do it, that will increase as you go along and get comfortable with it. But right now, I just want you to get comfortable with it. Everything new feels odd. And if you're not doing it, it feels odd. I want you to get to the place where it feels odd if you don't do it. That's, that's what we're shooting for. We want the odd thing to be the wrong thing. So having something we do every day a little is is important. Number two, worship time should have a liturgy, a simple liturgy or form. Here's what we do. We stop, we gather, and we're going to meet in the living room or around the table, and here's what we're going to do. 
and I'll say, give you some examples of that later, but some kind of form. Again, keep it simple. Three, worship should be disciplined, uh, and so its rules have to be enforced. If you want your, and you should, if you want your children to sit still during this instead of climbing across the back of the couch, then make them sit still. Say, no, we're worshiping now. Sit still. We're practicing to go to church, too, where you shouldn't be crawling across the back of the seat So if you learn this at home, lo and behold, when you get here, they don't climb across the back of the seats. And you're not having to wrestle them in here. You've already wrestled them at home. And yes, you've spanked them 20 times, maybe, to, to get you know that, that particular child to, to conform. But that's the goal, is to get to where they happily and uh, know what's expected. You insist that they do it. And so, by the way, that spills over into the other things you're trying to teach them to do. Here's a great opportunity for 10 minutes to enforce that, and so you be clear as to what your expectations are and make sure it happens. Uh, number four, worship should be age-appropriate, and that obviously if you've got a large family and a wide age range, that means you've got to vary things, but don't leave anybody behind. And then five, worship is about joy and renewal. This isn't, okay, you've got to do family worship. Let's get this over with. That can't be the attitude of the heart. This is about joy and renewal. And so your attitude as father and mother has to be that. That means you may have to work at it. Believe me, as a pastor, sometimes I'm walking in here on a Sunday or a Wednesday night, and I've had to deal with some unpleasant things, and I have to work on my attitude. I have to talk to myself on the way to church. Okay, you've got to change the subject. You've got to get that out of your head. You have to go do what needs to be done and do it joyfully and do it enthusiastically because that's what the need of the moment is. And if, if it's your habit to have family worship every day, then what happens when there's a family conflict? The reason we have weekly communion and we come here, you know that we're going to confess our sins in a little while and God's going to promise to forgive us and, and we're going to be reminded of what the table is all about. And hopefully, as you anticipate coming to church, that means if you've got some issue with somebody, you've taken care of it. Or at the very least, by coming here, you're reminded that you do need to go take care of it. So maybe you go take care of it as soon as church is over. But if you're having family worship every day at your house, and you know that's coming at 8 o'clock tonight, and at 6 o'clock we're having a bit of a quarrel, there's real incentive to get that taken care of now, or at the very least, at 8 o'clock when we do all gather and go before God. Because there would be a great opportunity to confess and to say, you know, will you forgive me? I lost my temper. Um, let's, let's worship God. So that benchmark, that being present as a part of your family, keeps your family on track. You know that worship is coming and that worship is about communion with God and one another and the habit of daily worship motivates and drives us to resolve the things that break our communion. Because you have to worship anyway. And you all bow before God, starting with father and mother. Fathers, you lead your families before the throne of God. And that means you have to be humble. And you have to be right. And if you have very young children and you have a worship liturgy modeled after what we do at church on Sunday, 
as I mentioned earlier, then when your children arrive here, it is familiar. They're ready. They know what to do. They've done it six days last week. Sunday's not all that different. might be a bit longer. Okay? And yeah, I know there's a learning curve, and there's an age where we have to fight the fight. Okay? But you can win. That's your job, too, by the way, is to always win. And that's ultimately good for them. So, let me speak to you men, or boys, as the case may be. Let the hearer understand. Godly men lead their families before God. Period. They don't leave it up to their wives to have to remind them to do so. They don't place their wives in the position of feeling like they're nagging their husband about family worship. If you're doing that, shame on you. It's time to grow up in Christ. If, you're, if, you're, if you aren't leading here in humbling yourself before God, then I'd like to suggest you can't lead anywhere else. You can stomp your foot and bump your chest about being the man of the house. But if you're not being the man of the house in this area, don't expect to be the man of the house anywhere else. Um, Why would anyone want to follow a man who doesn't follow God? Respect is earned by doing your duty and doing it right. So here's some very practical counsel for husbands and fathers. Repent and confess before God. If you've not been doing this, it's just simple. Just start there. Then initiate a meeting with your wife right away to repent and confess to her your lack of love and leadership to your family. You say, Pastor B, you're being awfully hard. No, I'm actually telling you something that is very good for you because I love you. It's not that hard. You can do that. You might need to say, Honey, I haven't loved you as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Will you forgive me and pray for me that I'll learn to be a courageous and disciplined leader? Thank you. See, that's not that hard. Ask her counsel since God gave her to you to help you, and you obviously need help. Listen to and take her counsel since your way hasn't been working. And then say to her, even though you shouldn't have to, I want you to feel completely free to remind me if it looks like I'm starting to slide on this. Set your alarm on your smartphone to remind you every day. Worship in 30 minutes. Use that smartphone for something smart. Gather your family to begin again your regular family worship. If need be, repent and confess to your children that you have failed in this area and solicit their prayers for you. They will appreciate that. You'll be modeling for them the thing they need to do when they're not doing what they should do. Announce the simple rules for the liturgy you want to establish. I'm going to give a sample here, but it could be a lot of variables here. Uh, All right, kids, we're going to meet for 10 minutes each morning before we leave for school, and you can tell them what time that is. And, of course, that means we've got to get up and get our beds made and have breakfast and get dressed and 
That might mean you have to adjust what time everybody gets up. We're going to read the Bible and a catechism question and answer, and I will provide some brief explanation if needed. We're going to pray for one another very quickly to get our day started. Uh, We're going to sing the doxology, and we're going to go forth and live for Jesus. After one week of doing this, meet with your wife again and see what she has to say about it. Listen to her and to your children, and then thank her and thank them. Now, if you do this, your marriage and your family will be transformed. I promise. It will get better and better. There will be real communion. You will come to the weekly corporate worship prepared to worship, and so will your family. If you're having some specific problems doing this, speak with your pastor or one of the elders. We would love to help. So, I'm going to stop there, and we'll take this up again next week as we talk about how this spills over into the corporate worship and what the role of your how you train your children to worship when we're here in this public setting. So let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word and for the instructions you give us about worship. Thank you for giving us children to raise to your glory. Forgive us where we have failed. And help us, Lord, to set aside the excuses and become diligent in this most important thing you called us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.